yesterday evening we found out that Mo Gabba, a super fan of Baltimore sports, passed away after his 14-year fight with cancer. And we wanted to take a moment and pay a moment of respect for Mo and his life and all the joy he brought to many people in the community. Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We hope you enjoyed our last episode with correspondent K-Fish. We're happy to announce that A, Chris is back. Woo! Happy to be back, guys. And that correspondent K-Fish now has a deputy, Noah Fisher. As of this recording, may or may not uh, have been born, but uh, it should be definitely by the time the episode drops. So, By the time you are listening to this. For sure, yeah. It was extremely close call, and he's been unresponsive for a couple hours, so it might be a good thing. Uh, so, correspondent K-Fish, we're happy for you. Get some rest. We hear you'll need it. <laughs> That's definitely what's advertised. But yeah, man, Chris, welcome back. I hear you have a whole new recording uh, studio set up. Yeah, man, unfortunately, uh, we don't have video on the on these podcasts. You know, Maybe that's for a future pod, but uh, it's been great. I have my own space, my own office. I got my Ravens wall behind me all set up. I got my Ed Reed Hall of Fame plaque right next to it, Lamar Jackson. It's it's great, man. I love it. House has been house has been great. And uh, but hey, you know I'm not the only one with good news here. If we're talking about Kfish and you know and 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 him having a kid, our good buddy Peter here. Pretty soon, within the next week or two, he's going to be joining him at fatherhood. That is right, Chris. Yeah, scheduled due date is August twelfth, and so this is almost certainly going to be the last pod I'll be recording before I take my uh, paternity leave. With that, we have great benefits here. I was telling, <laughs> I, I listed all the benefits for Peter when he was telling us about his leave. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's totally unpaid, uh, <laughs> but it, so is your current role. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not losing any pay. <laughs> if you want to pay Peter so he can pay for Cypers, go to patreon.com slash Ravens recap. <laughs> well, the other thing we can't promise either is, um, you know, you're still going to be on the text on the group chat. So um, y- you're kind of still working the whole time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but don't think about it as work. All right. That's true. Well, one thing is for certain, though, my uh, any work I would be doing during that time will be less with this uh, news that's come out over the weekend that the preseason is going to be canceled completely. I mean, we saw that originally they narrowed it down to two games, but now we're not going to get any. No preseason. Yeah, this is an interesting announcement. I wasn't surprised, but it definitely gives you some pause because they have to figure out a way to play these games safely and they're not having any practice runs. So they're going to have to just do it live. Yeah, and that's really the interesting thing is we uh, saw over the weekend, MLB was back, and there was that weekend, and it was just great to just watch live sports again. I don't know if you guys caught any of the baseball at all, but then Monday morning comes around, and we find out that our good hometown Baltimore Orioles were set to travel down to Miami, and they flew down there only to fly back Uh, just a few hours later, because half of the Miami Marlins roster tested positive for COVID. So MLB's plan was to, what they've done is uh, 
basically suspend the Marlins for a week. They, they're not playing any games until uh, next Monday at the earliest. They canceled slash postponed. We don't know if it's canceled or just going to happen later yet. The four-game series with the Orioles, and then the Nationals apparently had a player vote, and they requested that the MLB push that series as well. So, yeah, the MLB mixed up the schedule a bit, and now the Orioles are home opening against the Yankees, currently down 5-1. to one. That probably isn't going to uh, change back into the Orioles' favor tonight. So we're already seeing, we're not even a week into, into the MLB season, some of the roadblocks that can happen when you try and do a non-bubble season in a pandemic that is still very much a thing. Yeah, the next month is going to be extremely interesting to see, you know, whether there are more outbreaks, you know, it's, I don't even think it's a question of whether there will be, it's more of how many are they and how many people are going to be impacted. Like I said, Peter, I mean, this thing isn't, (laughs) this isn't going away. This is a real thing, you know, especially with a sport like football, man, you know, everybody's been talking about it. It's just, it's so physical, you know, there are just people in each other's faces all the time. It's just, there's, (laughs) it's just a recipe for, you know, the worst things about, you know, what not to do during a pandemic. It's like everything about football is like exactly on that list. You know, I, I know people have talked about, you know, you know, oh, you know, what happens when, you know, a high profile player gets COVID? What is the NFL going to do? Are they going to let the backups come in? And, you know, are they just going to shut the season down? You know, but at some point when you when you look at these outbreaks and, you know, you see what happened with the Marlins, I'd say your worst case scenario for a football team is really not even your star player getting it. But it's like, you know, what happens if you can't even field a 46-man roster? Literally don't have enough players to play because, all you know, enough of them have been impacted. You know, are you going to have to forfeit the game? I don't know. It, it seems like so far the, the NFL is kind of full steam ahead. I don't know. What do you think, Alec? I think depth is a huge problem. We're already seeing many players announce that they're opting out of this season. Uh, some of the biggest names are out of New England with Hightower. And then we heard today that Damian Williams is stepping aside so that uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can have, like, his breakout rookie season, adjust your ranks accordingly. To be more serious, I mean, there's going to be a lot of players, a lot of linemen, it seems, choosing not to play this year. And that means that more people are going to be signed onto the teams that cuts into the available pool of players that you could sign in case of an outbreak. And I think just the overall quality of play will go down. Or like like you said, there might not even be like NFL-ready players after a certain point. I would say if you have uh, any history of playing football and are still in playing shape, you probably want to keep it that way. You know, any any experience whatsoever in the NFL, you might be getting a call. I mean, maybe Darshall's going to come back. <laughs> Uncle Rico? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if John Urschel quit the NFL because of his concerns with uh, long-term effect of concussions, I don't think that... Um, coming back, the added risk of a pandemic is gonna is gonna be why he comes. It was back. a joke, Peter. <laughs> right. I mean, no, but that's a good point, though, right? I mean, you know, you look at all these bubble players, and you know, it, these guys in the NFL, they don't get paid all that much anyway. So honestly, I mean, they would probably make more money if they came in and opted out than they would than actually having a contract. So you know, you go too far down these rosters, and you're like some of these guys really have to make a decision of like, do I really want to play this badly, you know, to make marginally more or maybe even less money than what they would make if they played a full season. I know these guys want to play. I know, you know, everybody in the NFL, everybody in any sports league, bottom line is they want to play, right? And I don't blame them. 
it's their career. It's everything that they've, you know, wanted to do for their entire lives is is play the whatever sport that they're in, right? I mean, they want to play it and they want to play it safely. But, you know, at the end of the day, they really have to, you know, look at the numbers here and be like, is it really worth me, you know, having to deal with this and and risk my future career? Not not even from like a, you know, ignore the you know, long-term effects of COVID because I, you know, we're still in the thick of it. We really don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. But I mean, even just think about what the short-term is. Like these guys might play a week, they might get infected and then they're on ice. We don't even know if they're going to come back to play the rest of the season, you know? So I, is, is it really worth that chance to be able to do that? I I don't know. It's it's going to be super interesting. I, I do not think that We've seen the last of players opting out, and I'm really curious to, as we start to see more high-profile players opt out. Yeah, no, I mean you just hit basically all the all the real concerns that are there right on the the head of the nail there, Chris. And um, yeah, unfortunately, you know Alec was talking about how correspondent Kfish kind of you know broke the glass ceiling on this uh, idea that we've all known has been there. This topic that we've just been hoping hoping with naive hope that we wouldn't have to talk about it during this season. But, you know, now it's quite obvious that without any end in sight, I mean, it's going to be here in some form throughout this entire NFL season. So, I mean, this it's going to be a week-to-week topic that we're going to have to look at and just be like, what's the state of the NFL? What's the state of the health of the players? And it's, it's not going to be fun, but it's also just uh, just a situation we're in. Yeah, COVID corner is definitely going to be a topic of discussion from here on out, I'm sure. If you don't want to listen to COVID corner, this is a great opportunity to use chapter markers and your podcast player of choice. Before we go to the next chapter, I do want to bring up one last bit, and that's the notion of a bubble. So we've seen the NBA so far uh, successfully bubble. We've seen the NHL, who's doing two bubbles. You know, so far, so good. I think the interesting thing to see is if the... MLB continues to have setbacks if the NFL will consider a bubble. A Forbes writer suggested a way of doing so uh, using the many fields in a place like California. And honestly, it makes for a very interesting season because although you wouldn't have uh, inner conference plays, you would have more football on more days because they would want to space it out to improve field conditions. I don't know. Our wives might hate us, but I think it'd be a lot of fun to have more football, including on Saturdays. Yeah, I think the the other place with a lot of fields you may be talking about is uh, Florida again. <laughs> or Texas. But Texas. Or actually, you know, maybe even the DMV area with uh, Raven Stadium, Eagle Stadium, and the, the Washington sports team stadium really not that far from each other. Yeah. And you could still use... Um, you could use like UMD's stadium as well. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty large stadium um despite it being co- well I mean a lot of a lot of the major college uh, stadiums are are pretty big. They don't need to be big. No one's going to be there. Like <laughs> let's be real. Well, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> if I they think they bubble, they're bubbling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say I think it's going to be really weird to see these football games without fans in the stadium. Watching baseball, it was a little it was weird, but it still wasn't that weird because it, during a regular MLB season, Wednesday night game, there's no fans in the stadium anyway. If you turn on, if you turn on a game, so it was like MLB. We're getting a season full of Wednesday night baseball. It feels, 
But if NFL games, since there's only one per per week, even when a team is is doing bad, like the Cincinnati Bengals last year, you still had a stadium that was probably around forty to fifty percent capacity. To see the games played with with no one in those uh, seats is going to be pretty bizarre, I would think. But I mean, going back to the idea of the bubble, I did read over that article that you had posted in our notes before the the show, and it's an interesting idea. I just think the problem is that the NFL at this point, if they wanted to go that route, unless they have a contingency plan we don't know of, I think it would be too hard for them at this point to put that together. You'd have to get uh, clearance from the state of California, which I don't think would be easy given the problems they're having out there. Um, And then if you want to do an AFC and NFC bubble, you're going to have to have a completely new schedule because it doesn't really make much sense to have the bubble and then have 25% of the, each, the games each team is playing have you travel between the bubbles. Uh, with it being that high a percentage, it kind of <laughs> defeats the point a bit. I guess we'll see. I think it would be smart for the NFL to have that in their back pocket if, if things do start getting out of control during the season and the, it gets so bad that your decision is you have to go to a bubble or you have to cancel the season. <laughs> I kind of feel like the go no go lines before the season starts. I don't know if they can really get away with trying it. I guess they said they get two weeks essentially, right? The first two weeks are all conference games, so they could decide to switch it after that. But it's a fluid topic. I think it's interesting that you know the NFL is in this position because when you know everything started going down in March and and April. You know, the NFL was like, they were kind of already on their normal schedule, right? It was the NFL offseason. There's only a couple things you need to do, right? There's free agency. There's the draft. Shortly after that, they released, you know, the schedule for the next year, which is, you know, at least four, if not five months away, right? And so I think it's just interesting that at the time, you know, whether it was a good idea or not, I, I think the NFL made the call of like, well, it's still too soon. There's still, you know, there's nothing here that says there isn't a chance that we could have the season you know as we usually have it which is fine but I think you know it's almost like they were kind of like that was almost like a disadvantage right so like at least with with baseball and hockey and and the NBA all of these you know leagues basically had to like they couldn't start right so they had to immediately there was like an immediate need of like okay well uh we need to figure out whether we're going to do anything this year and they had to go in full into like you know planning and adapting mode and you know that's why you're seeing these you know different results here whereas the nfl was like you know they could have done that but it was still kind of like because it was so far away it was kind of unclear i just think that's kind of interesting of like you know having the extra time like you know could you have made the decision to be to do that even before, you know, having all the data of, of the different leagues and how they would bubble and, and different things like that. Personally, if, if I were the NFL, yeah, I would I would basically say that there's like a cutoff date of maybe it's that second game, Alec. I think that's probably a good idea of saying like, you know, if things are looking good at that point, maybe they try to continue on with the season. And if something happens, it's just canceled. But if they're seeing worrying signs at that point, maybe a bubble might be, you know, the good answer. But honestly... Again, we're not going to know because we only have about a week or two of data from these other leagues. Like nobody ever alive has had to deal with anything like this, which makes it all the more like unprecedented. You know, even though people may think that 
there is like one right answer. The problem is, is that we just, we just don't know. A bubble may be a good decision. It, it may also be, you know, there may also be downsides to it too. So it, it's going to be really interesting, man. Then the next two months, I think for, for sports are, are just going to be extremely interesting of whether, you know, we can actually make this work at some capacity would be really, really <laughs> fascinating. You're absolutely right. The bubble may have its own issues as well. Um, I think one thing to look at these bubbles, we can compare, I mean, the NFL can look at what the NBA and NHL is, is doing with their bubble and make comparisons. But I think it's something that they, they'll have to keep in mind when looking at that is both those leagues currently, what they really have set up is not really a season, but a, a tournament, really. Uh, you've got the teams that are present there, all of them are mathematically alive to make the postseason, and they're really just finishing up the last week or two of the season that they would have done had already had COVID not caused the early cancellation. So every team that there that is there is invested. But when you're looking at a bubble and you're looking at starting from week one of a regular season, I think you also have to take into consideration um, teams that uh, don't have much to play for this year. And maybe also, like, if you look into week four or five of the season, maybe a team that was a contender uh, is going to have some major injuries where now that's not possible. And then you start having teams, maybe there's not as big of an incentive to follow the rules of the bubble. And players need a mental break because, I mean, a lot of us on the outside looking in look at uh, professional sports leagues as a dream job, but it's a really grueling job. And it's, you know, it's... Definitely not fun all the time for these guys, even when you're on a winning team. But I think it's a lot harder if you're going through a losing situation or maybe you're a player who uh, you're not happy with your role. You have a diminished role as just a just a special teams guy, and you really feel like you should be a starter. Not to keep going on and on about this this topic, because as, as we've said, we're going to be talking a lot about this. And it's all hypothetical at the moment, because it hasn't come to pass before ever, but Pros and cons to doing it in a bubble and in the regular travel format as MLB is currently doing it. Well, the good news is we do got one bubble boy on the team. Lamar Jackson had a presser today, announced that he's been social distancing and is now in his bubble. You love to hear it because as the Lounge Podcast talked to him, they he knows how important he is to the team. We can't have any problems. No jet skis. No, uh, no COVID. None of that for Lamar Jackson. Uh, I don't really be with no one um, outside of my guys, you know, um, here. And um, I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job so far because, you know, the test, every, all the tests came back negative. You know, I didn't have any corona, not one tick in me. Um, I think I was doing a great job in quarantining. I'm going to keep it that way. I'm, I'm the new bubble boy. Yeah, Lamar Jackson is the exact opposite of the type of players I was talking about earlier. Lamar has more incentive than anyone in the league to make sure that the COVID does not spread in the NFL, not just so for him to get the Super Bowl, but for him to get that record setting payday. So yeah, if, if for some reason Lamar wasn't going to be, you know, following the rules of this to a T, then you would know we were going to have a problem with getting this season off. Yeah. I, I honestly think there's no hyperbole in that. Like he actually has the most on the line of any player almost like almost. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I can think of another player who has more on the line. That's a very good point. All right, well, enough of that. Let's talk about the main discussion. The Ravens released an hour-long video that I highly recommend you watch 
of the top 25 Ravens games. They also listed them out. But man, I'll tell you what, watching that, I got goosebumps. I may have teared up. Like, it was an incredible, incredible montage of epic Ravens moments, as well as just awesome memories. It was great reliving that. It made me super proud to be a fan of this franchise. And uh, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's a great opportunity to uh, indulge, maybe show someone who isn't a fan how awesome the Ravens are. I greatly enjoyed it. Do you guys get a chance to watch the video as well? I missed that there was a video uh, summarizing it, actually. What I noticed was that included in that list is the full game recordings of every game on that list, which I found quite interesting because there's some of those games on that list are are so far back that you can't rewatch them on, on Game Pass. So despite the fact they don't really have the time to, I was enjoy, enjoying watching some of the footage from uh, some of those older games and even a, then a couple that I... I'm too young to, or was before my time of being a Ravens fan to see, especially those two from the, well, not especially, there was only two games from the 90s on that list. It's definitely a, a good list. My initial reaction looking over it was, that's a very fair way of, of ranking the, the games. Um, I definitely have some opinions, and we'll, we'll get to my list, but uh, I don't know what your guys' first reaction was to seeing that. My first reaction was probably like, dang, there's a lot of games from 2012 here. I guess when you think about it in some ways, it's not that unexpected, right? I mean, that was the season where we won the Super Bowl. There were a lot of memorable moments in there. So, I, you know, it's not that unsurprising to see all the playoff games from that season in the top 25 here. Overall, though, I mean, you know, you even get some good ones from the early 2000s. There's a couple from the mid 2000s, and the mid 2010s in there, too. Overall, it's a pretty good mix. You know, I'm sh- I'm sure that we could talk about a bunch of games that that could have been on there. I-, I will say, you know, a couple games I'm sure that all of us remember might have been lost. You know, they were losses, but if they would have been wins, they could have very well easily been on this list. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of games that fit that. I'm very keen to hear how Peter approached this. It was his topic to bring up, and I think. Uh, Knowing him, there might be a formula involved. Peter, what you got for us? There is, and I, I do get to bring out my, my Excel sheet, which was shot down for our episode with Ken when we did the, the Ravens, <laughs> all-time Ravens play. So, so for some background for the pod, so I, I misunderstood what we were going to do for that episode, and I actually created my all-time Ravens roster, you know, 52-man roster complete with depth chart for that episode. But 53! <laughs> 53, sorry. <laughs> no, 52 was a lock, so it was only 52 players. Right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, fair enough. But we decided before airing it that going through that would uh, would be too confusing to go over the air. But I still have it if we want to break that out someday, you know, if we're short on content. But yeah, so I put together a little Excel sheet for this. Um, I thought on my head without looking at the list... Uh, that the Ravens put together, what are all the games I could think of that could be considered in the list of the top 25 greatest Ravens games? I came up with a list of 58. Initially, it was 62, but three of them I thought were stretches, so I axed them. Because the reason I started this was because at first I was just looking at the games and I was trying to think how I would rank them subjectively. But then I ran into the issue. I was just like, well, how how do you rate a game, you know, 
versus, I mean, obviously Super Bowl 35 is a huge memorable game for Ravens fans, but the game itself was a blowout. Like, is that really a better game than, say, you know, that 2003 shootout with the Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks? So to help with that in my rankings, I came up with seven metrics and I used the average of the the score of these metrics uh, to rank the game's so seven metrics are significance of the game to, to the franchise. So like from a historical perspective, uh, what was the strength of the opponent that the Ravens are playing? Because I think, you know, a close game against a top Steelers team is a, a lot more impressive than that snow game against the Vikings where the Vikings were eliminated from the playoffs at that point anyway. What was the strength of the rivalry? Because rivalry games uh, can add to how memorable a game is. Memorable plays was another metric I had in there. Just excitement value of the game. Was it an exciting game or not? Was it a significant game to, to players or, or the team in general? And how did the Ravens p- play in the game? So, like, you know, was it a good game because it was close, but the team really didn't play well? Or was it, did they actually, you know, was this a very well-executed game I felt was something to consider? So those are the seven metrics I used, and I ranked the games, and I will say I came up with nine games on my top 25 that were not included in the Ravens website's games. Oh, So yeah, Peter, I think it's interesting because the list that they posted is, um, I think they just basically all like presented their personal lists, all the people they asked, uh, the various writers and announcers of the team, and they I think they just kind of like duked it out internally. They didn't really show the, the process of how they took everyone's individual list to create the the master list that was presented. But for me, I think the thing that you'll notice with these games is there's a lot of value put on the significance of the game and its overall, I guess, like competitiveness. And not so much on just like, that was a crazy game. Like a crazy game in the middle of the season did not do nearly as well as a crazy game in the playoffs. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also noticed, I felt like there was a decent amount of ravens milestones that got higher nods than i would have so for like for instance they put it like you know the first time they beat the colts they put uh the first game they ever won period like on the list and i'm like well that's cool i guess but if it were me i would rank like that you know like for instance i think number 24 yeah it was the dolphins game where we just put 59 points on and like announced here we are in 2019 I think that was a better game than just like the random landmark game because it was the beginning of a great season and it also uh, kind of put the haters to rest as far as Lamar was concerned, uh, despite it being against the Dolphins. Um, and I personally thought that was a better game, but they definitely like put more historical significance um, for individual games than I, I weighed. Yeah, I did notice that. For my metrics that I will say... There is overlap in games that had, you know, more significance to a season where there was great success for the Ravens, did score pretty high on the list, and there's a lot of overlap in those games and mine. But the milestone games really didn't, for the majority of them, did not make the top 25, kind of for the reasons you said. I mean, it's like the game where Jamal Lewis rushed for 295 yards, I mean, that was awesome to see. 
Jamal do that. And I was at that game, and that was really cool to see live. But that wasn't really a, a game, though. I mean, it was like it was in week two, so it was too early to have any significant implications for standings. And the Ravens won that game on the the second play from scrimmage <laughs> on that that uh, big seventy five yard run from from Lewis. And really, the Browns never recovered from that from that game. So, but I can see the argument for for putting those type of games as high as they do because that is part of what we remember with games is uh, incredible performances like that. So I, I do agree more with you that I think a game that had impact on a season more can be considered a better game than one where uh, there was just an individual milestone. Right. Well, I guess that makes sense also given the panel that they had, right? I mean, if you look, you have people like, you know, Jerry Sandusky, Kevin Byrne, John Eisenberg, Brian Mink, Keith Mills. So, I mean, all these guys, you know, within the the media, whether they work for the Baltimore Ravens organization or they work for, you know, one of their partners or something, you know, all of these guys, you know, are, are you know, really looking for, you know, or remembering like all the storylines that, you know, they reported on, you know, things that stood out to them. And I'm sure, you know, for for somebody like Keith Mills, like, you know, you would ask him, like, you know, what's your favorite game? And he would probably point out to, you know, remembering the players that he talked to, remembering like, hey, I remember when, you know, this so-and-so player, you know, rushed for 295 yards or something, you know. So, you know, they, from their perspective, I guess, they might they may not look at games in the same, like, lens as we do. One last, I guess, high-level bit of how they did this. So similar to the JJ points where each pick – at the top is worth a lot. And then as you go further down, they, they kind of lose value. They're more interchangeable. I definitely felt like after the top 10 to 15 games, like after that, I was just was like basically honorable mentions, you know, like I don't know how to rank them. I don't really care how you rank them. Just like, maybe I think that one's a little bit better or a little bit worse. The good thing about this too, is that like, honestly, at the end of the day, it's all subjective anyway. So, you know, <laughs> whether people, you know, people like Peter can build entire models about, you know, all of this and how to rank them. That's great. Like it, it's, it's, it's great to see other people's perspectives on how to rank these games. There is no one right answer for it, like period. So it's kind of cool to just have that discussion and be able to talk about them and, and, uh, you know, find out, you know, which, which games are, are most memorable to people. I will say to transition into the games, I, you know, I think if we just take it from the top, Peter, I, I don't know how your list is because I haven't seen it yet, but I have to feel like at the very least that this game is on there and it has to be somewhere near the top. But the number one ranked game on the list that came from the Ravens was the AFC Divisional game uh, in 2012, the Ravens and Broncos. Ravens win in double overtime. Yeah, that game did also score number one on my metrics. And I think that there's a pretty strong argument for it. I mean... I think it's the most exciting Ravens game I've ever watched in person. And also going into it again, how I said, I also took into consideration, you know, what's the, the strength of the opponent that you're playing and the strength of the rivalry. I mean, going into this game, Ravens fans always have trust in their team, but the Broncos had just demolished the Ravens at home, not even a month prior to going into that game and you're going up and you're playing against Peyton Manning, who the Ravens haven't beaten since 2001 and Broncos are on a bye week because they have the top seed. Like 
there was not a lot of hope you had going into this game that the Ravens would actually pull it off. Maybe they'd be competitive, but I think that's another thing that made the game so memorable, not just the great plays. And there were plenty of great plays even outside of the of the Flacco fling was just the craziness of watching that game. And then the Ravens get on that lead, but then the Broncos come back and the Ravens keep and Broncos keep trading touchdowns in that game until finally Justin Tucker wins it with that field goal. It's just that game in a microcosm was just why you're a sports fan. It's just seeing your team be able to rise as the underdog in that dramatic of a fashion you, you couldn't have written a better better way for that game to go if you had a, a script and were writing it for Hollywood. It was just an excellent game. Yeah. I have no problem having it number one. I think it is number one. You don't get much better than two overtimes, plus the magnitude of the game, as you stated, and the Maha miracle. I mean, who could forget that call? They have to snap it quickly from the gun. Denver rushes three. Flacco steps up. Throws deep, far sideline, Jacoby Jones has it at the 20, Jacoby Jones, touchdown, Ravens! Yeah, definitely can't forget that call. I mean, yeah, like you said, Peter, I mean, this game literally has everything. Needless to say, this place has everything. Basically, all of the uh, all of the columns that you mentioned on, on your list, this checks all of those columns, you know, and the other thing too to, to keep in mind, not only when you're looking at the Ravens going up against the the Broncos, who were that number one seed who had just beat them, you also have to remember like this was Ray Lewis's final year, so you have that whole other aspect of like the drama and the uh, significance to this game. It's like, you know, they were people in Denver putting up billboards saying that this was Ray Lewis's retirement party. And so, like, you have this whole, like, backstory of, like, oh, you know, the Ravens couldn't have let that happen. Like, Ray wanted to keep going on and, and uh, you know, being able to send him off into the sunset. It's just, you add that on top of an already, like, super exciting game and super dramatic game. It's just, it, yeah, it was, if this was not number one, like, I think, <laughs> I think a ton of people would have been angry. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the, going to have the biggest cross section of, you, you ask Ravens fans, will say, that game was number one, and I think a lot of fans, whether or not you're a fan of Flacco, would say that that play was one of the top five, if not the greatest play in Ravens history. A funny story I have with that play is I was watching that game at my parents' house, and at the time, my brother was a, was around 10 or 11 years old, I want to say, and you know, still an age where you know kids older, but you're still, as a parent, still, you know, censoring some things that they're taking in from a media perspective. So my dad had uh, channel locks set up on the, on the television. So we're watching that game, and obviously that game's going on late, and it's extending beyond the, the time slot that you know, CBS had for it. And we're sitting on the couch, and that play's starting to unfold, where uh, you know, Flacco takes a snap, he steps up, he lets the football fly, and, you know, you're watching that go, and then all of a sudden you see Jacoby Jones with plenty of separation, and he's, the football's finally coming into view. And right at that moment, uh, it must have hit the hour, I guess, because the, the channel lock went on, and the screen goes, goes dark, saying you had to enter the passcode to watch. Oh, <laughs> no! Oh, no! So we're, we're, we're just like, 
on the edge of our seat, like what's going to happen? And then frantically, we're searching for the remote to hammer in the code. <laughs> and then we, t- we, um, we get it in, and, and that's when we see, uh, see Flacco with his back turned and his arms up. And oh, we're like, no. <laughs> we're like, it must have happened. He must have caught it. <laughs> so, and then we that's saw the replay. That's the saddest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> oh, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, because now I've, I've seen, I've probably watched that play over, over a thousand times on, on just, you know, replaying it. But uh, like, probably with over a hundred and the week after that game happened, but I just, I just find it funny that 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 it coincided right with that, and we had that that cliffhanger there of what was oh, going to happen. No, that's <laughs> oh man, that is a crazy story. As I've mentioned on the show before, we watched a good bit of these games at uh, Silver Spring Mining Company uh, in Perry Hall, and it had a really great atmosphere there, and we lost it. Um, and I just remember, you know, high fiving everyone back when that was a thing that you could do. Uh, in the before times, uh, just like it was a great, great moment. Uh, just absolute jubilee. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been as happy. Well, I think I was happy, uh, when they won the Super Bowl. like, you know, that happy, but, uh, yeah, that was just amazing. Speaking of the 2012 Super Bowl, the Ravens did have that game as a number two game on their list. And then the game that came in between those two games, where the Ravens beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, as number three. So I think that might have been what uh, Chris was referring to with the little bit of a 2012 bias there. Yeah, for sure. I gotta say, personally, I probably wouldn't have put the Super Bowl this high. You know, I know it's significant from a couple perspectives. If you look at you know historical legacy and and sending Ray out on top and and finally getting a Super Bowl ring for for guys like Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs and Olodinata, uh Marshall Yanda, you know if if I go back to this game, you know it was a really good first half from the Ravens, but after that power outage, it was a really poor game from the Ravens. After Olodinata got uh, injured and he got knocked out, the Ravens were just not playing very well at all and fortunately a fourth down stand uh was able to save it uh plus some special teams magic but um yeah it's i don't know from that perspective it's i think it's definitely hard to put it number two but i mean you can't you know you can't argue against the uh significance for it because or the the drama that had this game you know the uh that power outage was something that uh you don't see too often in the NFL, and I, I know a lot of people remember that. Chris, this is easily my number two. I, I mean, the Maha Miracle made it such that it couldn't be number one, but oh my gosh. I mean, we were crushing it. We were having so much fun. The blackout happens. We were no longer crushing it. We're watching Ray's season slip through our fingertips, and I'm over here trying to figure out what went wrong. And uh, the only thing I could figure out is I started off being really nervous and drinking rum and Cokes to try to like get the edge off right and i stopped doing that because we were doing so well so i returned to the rum and cokes i had one a drive near the end and i was feeling (laughs) real good at the end (laughs) i was feeling real good at the end and uh yeah that that works so you're welcome i took one for the team i uh (laughs) i had uh quite a few uh, and uh the the season was saved and we had glory (laughs) and you can't tell at all in the pictures (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> man uh, we're gonna have to get the ravens to get you in the ring of honor then <laughs> don't do any math on my birthday and uh the time of the game 
Oh man. Yeah, I actually I I also had the that game as number two on my list. I agree one hundred percent with what with everything uh you said, Chris, but I think one thing that's always forgotten about the second half of that game, yes, the Ravens uh, gave up a lot of points in that second half and did not maintain that momentum that they had through that blackout that happened. But what I think, there were a lot of plays they made in that second half that was the difference between winning and losing the game. You had a couple key defensive stops that limited San Francisco to field goals in certain cases. And then you had a great play by Flacco and Anquan Bolden, where on a, I believe it was a third and one, Flacco saw that the 49ers had a stacked front and the run play wasn't going to work. So then he audibles to to have that out route to Bolden for the first down, where Bolden made a heck of a catch on that play, if I'm remembering yep. correctly. Yep, I remember that one. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a completely fair argument to say that that game should be lower on the list because of of what happened. But I also think it's like, it, it's kind of like COVID in a way. It was this unforeseen circumstance that you're like, how do you prepare for this? No one thinks this, this is going to happen. And yeah. yet the Ravens found a way to dig themselves out of mishandling that situation at the beginning. And they got a second Lombardi out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I will say you brought up the championship game. So we'll maybe go on to the next one. Um, I, I'd say this one, I think almost has a, a similar level of uh, historical significance and, and sort of history that builds up to this one. And I, I definitely don't have a problem with this being number three, even though you could argue that this is more of a blowout game. And that really this game goes back to 2011 where the Ravens had, you know, that Super Bowl slip through their fingers because of a drop pass by Lee Evans and that miss by Billy Cundiff. And the Ravens just came back and just you know, dominated against a very strong Patriots team right after they came off of this wild, you know, number one game here, the divisional against the Broncos. And, uh, you know, for for me, you know, when I remember back to that game too, I remember watching it and I, you know, for, for maybe like the first quarter, maybe the, the first half, I'd say, you know, I was definitely a little bit worried, you know, that this might end up the same way. But I remember going in the second half and I was like, well, I felt really confident and, and it was like the Ravens have this like I com- it completely erased all of the negative emotions that I had a year ago watching that game in the same stadium against the same opponent and um, overall you know and we came out and won it man you know I I, I must have I felt like uh, I felt like Bolden when you know he caught you know his two touchdown passes in there you know I mean, you looked at yeah you, you know, looked at his face, man. He was he was totally feeling dominant. That's that's how I felt. <laughs> so for me, I actually had this game a little bit lower. I think it's a great game. I cried during it. You know, I knew uh, everything was crystallizing. I could t- I could see the beauty of the Maha miracle paying off, and that the Super Bowl was going to be ours. And you know, all my wishes were coming true. So I was getting pretty emotional during it. But I honestly like I don't know. To me maybe because it was just like a cathartic win uh i don't know it it wasn't as high for me i'd actually rank the 2000 super bowl has higher just because the ragtag team like coming together i actually was watching the number four on this list the ravens versus titans uh divisional game before the show today and first of all man what a different game of football it was back then and second of all good golly our offense was pretty terrible like (laughs) Like it was just a miracle that uh, that they that they were that the defense was so good, right? Like I felt like those games were almost like 
more impressive just because the defense was just insane. And, uh, I mean, for instance, the defense scored 14 points versus 10 of the offense in the uh, Ravens-Titans game, AFC Divisional. Like, I, I don't know. For me, the, the, both those games, the Titans game and the Super Bowl, are higher just because uh, th- similar kind of, like, significance as far as playoffs are concerned. And uh, just, I thought, better gameplay. But I, I understand the storyline and what happened in the year before for uh, for that one. So I, I get why it's high. I just it wasn't as high for me. Yeah, the the revenge game factor of it boosted it on my my list as well. Came in at number eleven for me. Like you guys have already said, the first half of that game was pretty close, but second half the Ravens just came out and asserted dominance. And Anquan Bolden had arguably his best game as a Raven, and it was amazing. It felt amazing, but. Did not make for the most exciting football game. Yeah. Now, if we want to talk about the AFC Divisional, though, against the Titans, I would definitely argue that, you know, four, I think, is a good spot. I could see an argument for moving that up, though. That, dude, that interception by Ray Lewis on Eddie George. Like, I don't know about you guys, but occasionally we'll go and watch um, some of, you know, Ray Lewis's, you know, uh, highlight videos that he's had. And uh, I just, I love hearing him talk about that interception. It just it gets me so pumped up, man. I I barely remember watching it live, but man, just going back and reliving that that's that's a huge uh, nostalgia play for me. It's just really really uh, significant if we're talking about like Ravens legacy. So since you're on that play, I will go back to my previous story about TV shenanigans with um in the <laughs> oh Ravens no. Age. So this is another reason. So so. As a family, my, my dad and I, we knew that the Ravens were going to win the Super Bowl after that play, not just because the Ravens had pulled off an insane play on against Denver there, but because that game, when Ray Lewis made that play and he stripped Eddie George for the ball, I remember watching this, even though I was only uh, eight years old, and we were, we were watching the game at my parents' old house, and when that play happened, like, that was the tiebreaker play, if I remember correctly. And we, you, we saw Ray Lewis had a clear field to go into the end zone. So we all jump up cheering for what happened. And I think the remote was on my dad's leg or something. But the remote goes flying in on the air and lands on the, on the power button and turns off the television. <laughs> I'm not making this up. So then so, we, we, we turn the television back on, and, and there's Ray Lewis celebrating in the end zone with the defense. <laughs> I just think that's a funny coincidence that, that we had. And those are the only two times I've ever had that happen, watching a game. <laughs> so, please. Well, dude, you're going to have to break your social distancing and watch uh, next season with uh, your dad and make sure he makes an equal <laughs> blunder at some point <laughs> in the playoff run so we can assure that the Ravens win the Super Bowl this year. That's so funny. Uh, I will add, so I don't remember this game, like watching as a kid. I know I watched it because I watched that whole season. I remember the Raiders game per, uh, pretty well. But for some reason, this uh, Titans game just didn't didn't stick out for me. But when I was rewatching it today, that interception of Eddie George to like cement that they were going to win that game uh, and go ahead by two score, that was just incredible. And it was so cool to see just like the fans lost all their hope. It was a 10-10 game. It was tied for the longest time. And the defense and special teams are what made the difference, which is just very uh, symbolic of that whole season. 
Absolutely. And yeah, back then, I mean, that Ravens-Titans rivalry was as big as, as Ravens-Steelers would become later on in that decade. So you had that on there as well. Was also on my list, was on the list at number eight. I don't know if we want to actually go through every what position it was on my list for everyone. <laughs> but well, um, yeah, that was definitely a good game. Uh, and then next up on the list, they had Super Bowl 35. So Again, going back to that 2000 Ravens defense. And when I look at that Super Bowl, obviously it was exciting that the Ravens won. But in a lot of ways, that game almost kind of feels like, you know, the epilogue of an epic story. You know, it's kind of it was kind of like, you know, that game against Tennessee was when Aragorn and company are charging the, the Black Gate and Frodo and Sam are putting the ring in the cracks of doom at Mordor. And that all happens. And you're like, that was the big big thing that needed to happen that was the opponent that the Ravens were fans viewed as the biggest threat to between the Ravens and the Super Bowl and then the game against Oakland and and the Giants kind of just felt like from what I remember like it was almost expected at that point that the Ravens were going to win because you beat the the best team remaining but I mean it was still awesome to see them actually come through and and win that game and there's plenty of memorable plays in that game you know with Jermaine Lewis's kickoff return and Jamal Lewis's diving touchdown to seal a game that was already out of reach for the Giants at that point. Uh, Dwayne Starks pick six, Trent Dilfer's pass to Brandon Stokely. So many great plays in that game, um, even if it wasn't close by a mile. I just want to say I love that uh, uh, comparison to the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I I finished it a couple weeks ago. Remember, I said that was uh, what I was gonna gonna do during quarantine. <laughs> reread that's, all those that's books. That's right. That's right. I've never I've never heard Super Bowl thirty five being called basically the equivalent of the the Hobbits coming home to the Shire and having to uh, you know the, the Hobbits aren't going to come home to the Shire after they've destroyed the Ring and get killed by a bunch of orcs, right? If anybody's actually you know you got to read the books there, not watch right. movies. Yeah, but like I, I, yeah, I didn't on, know if I wanted never going to happen. Yeah, I didn't know if I wanted to go that deep into it, but since you brought it up, yes, absolutely. It, the the Super Bowl in a way kind of felt like the scorching of the Shire, where it's like okay, yeah. there's still a conflict here, and this still needs to be resolved, but it's anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. So next up on the list, we have the 2010 game against the Patriots in the wild card where the Ravens won 33 to 14. You know what guys? Not that high on my list. Like I understand they came out guns a blazing. I love that game. Don't get me wrong. But honestly, I had other games higher up. For me, I would point out the Hey Diddle Diddle game against the Chargers. Uh similar, you know, huge performance by Ray Rice that kind of helped us, you know, actually get into the playoffs, right? Uh, I felt like that that um was a bigger game for me, that comeback there. What do you guys think? So with my metrics, I scored the excitement rating for this game a 2 out of 10, which is the lowest of any game that I have in my top 20. Um, oh, wow. Wow. I, it came in at number 20. What kept it in there, I think, is, yeah, it's a game against New England, who's a, a chief rival. There were a lot of, of big plays in that game. And it was a playoff win, but yeah, even I want I wonder here, like, because I'm get another thing that I mean this metric isn't perfect. I'm giving all of these the same weight, and I'm not sure if that's the exact way to do it. But yeah, I agree. I was a little surprised to see this as a as a top ten game because 
Like the game was over in in five minutes, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think it was five minutes of game time, and the Ravens were up seventeen to zero. And New England <laughs> Patriots fans were leaving this game before they even got to their seat, which was awesome to see. But <laughs> you know, at that point, I just you know you're not really paying attention to the game that much, even though the Ravens are doing well because there's there's nothing else to to watch. It's over. <laughs> you're just victory lapping. Yeah, I feel like the game that comes after it, uh, number seven on this list. Uh, Ravens 16 Raiders 3 AFC championship game like talking about you know the Lord of the Rings like this was the the great moment I just remember watching that game and uh, the Tony Saragusa belly flop uh, the Shad Sharp huge play for 96 yards and just the fact that you know this otherwise excellent offense of the Raiders like could do nothing against us Rich Gannon was just like not sure what to do (laughs) yeah no I mean it was definitely a dominant performance by the by the defense in that game. And that was a really good offense back then. You know, Rich Gannon, maybe a guy who's been forgotten by NFL fans, uh, but he was an excellent quarterback at the time. You had Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, who were in the twilight of their careers, but still putting up big numbers. Yeah, this one was lower on my list and didn't make the top 25, mainly because I think the offense was just so bad in that game. You had that that busted play where Shannon Sharp had the the 94 yard touchdown or wherever where Shannon Sharp, I don't think he was ready to run that long. You had Brandon Stokely basically push him into the end zone for the last 20 (laughs) yards. If you watched a replay of that play, but I'd have to look at the box score. I can't, I I tell you what, I can't remember one other offensive play from that game beside that big score, (laughs) but yeah, but I mean, from a historical perspective, that was the game that actually punched a ticket for the Ravens' uh, first ever Super Bowl. So uh, definitely a very memorable moment. I just remember watching Trent Dilfer and that throwing motion and thinking to myself, I understand now. Like, as a kid, I didn't understand it. But I understand now why Billick was like, you know what? Elvis Gerbeck, you seem like a guy who might be more competent. Come in here. Our team would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you on that take, Peter. You know, uh, aside from a handful of plays, it's... I think it's really hard to to rank this highly in the excitement factor. Definitely not this, uh, not the same level of excitement I think as, as the uh, divisional game prior to this one. Moving on, we have the three most interesting games to put in the top ten, in my opinion. Let's see what you guys say. I think Alec is also leaning towards with this next one, which is uh, the first game ever played by the Ravens, which they won nineteen to fourteen. I don't think any of us watched this live. I could be wrong about that. Uh, if we did, but, we don't remember. I mean, right, we're four exactly. years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously, insanely significant for the Ravens fan base. Uh, it's hard for us to to fathom it because we didn't live through it. But the Ravens fans, um, if you're listening, and you, you, some of you might be uh, have lived through this, went 13 years without professional football, and you had the Ravens back in town, and... They're back at Memorial Stadium, and they win a game that was actually, I found some highlights of it on on YouTube. wasn't an unexciting game, but I think what put it down in the metrics on mine, and I didn't have it in the top 25, was although it was the first win in Ravens history, I think the Ravens really weren't born that day, right? I think that the if you look at the rest of the season, you know, the Ravens finished like 4-12. and 12, I don't think that season really captured the city. So from a significant standpoint, I think that that lowers it a bit, in my opinion. Right. I mean, it's hard to build on a legacy when you don't have one, 
right? I mean, this is... I mean, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I could see this in like a top 25. Like if, if we're talking about the rankings that, you know, the, the, the Ravens did, I think it could make the top 25 if, if you're trying to do something on like the top, you know, 25 games for the last 25 years of Ravens history. I think being the first game is probably enough, but being number eight, yeah, that's definitely kind of high. Would love to hear some more perspectives though for some older fans. I mean, I, you know, I, I know, I, I know my parents weren't big into football. We, we didn't really watch it until about the the ninety nine two thousand season. But I would definitely be curious to hear from some other fans who uh, who've been around for that long to know whether you know it was more significant to them. Well, it definitely was significant. I'll bring. Um, gosh, this is just turning into story time with Peter today. But um, that's okay. Bring a, I'll bring up another family story, although this one this one's a little uh, definitely not humorous, a little more uh, somber. But um, so my my father's father, uh, my papul, as we say in Greek, was a huge huge sports fan, and um, actually he he knew to some degree some of the the players on the on the Baltimore Colts on a personal level. You know, back in the day when when that wasn't as uh, as hard to do as it is today, but huge Baltimore Colts fan, huge Baltimore Orioles fan. He obviously, from what I've heard, was very upset when the when the Colts left town, and was very excited that the Ravens were coming to town. Apparently, my my dad bought him uh, a Ravens jersey when that first became available, and apparently, all uh, what that basically was was a was a purple shirt with like a, a number on it, probably nine six for ninety six. It was just like <laughs> there was there was no apparel back then, obviously, because the the uniform and the and the logo were still TBD. But um, uh, that that year, nineteen ninety six, uh, my my papool had um, succumbed to to lung cancer, and it was pretty bad at that point. And um, he was scheduled to be at that game. Uh, my my dad and him had tickets for the game, but I don't know if he he may have seen the game because I'm looking at that date, September first. I'm pretty sure he passed away around September fourteenth, nineteen ninety six. But at that point, he was he was too he was definitely too sick to have gone to the game. But the Colts and the Orioles had meant so much to him in his life. He was just so excited that that f- uh, football was coming back to Baltimore. And I do remember at the viewing, he was buried in his casket with that that jersey folded up um, at his side. And uh, and I didn't know what the significance was because I was five and I didn't wasn't a sports fan yet. But I had the job of, of taking the, the ticket stub from that game and and putting it in his, his breast pocket while he was at uh, lying in wake. So uh, my my grandfather was uh, was laid to rest with uh, that generic Ravens jersey and uh, a ticket stub from the first game. So, yeah, it was a uh, maybe when I'm going on paternity leave, you guys can have on a, a Ravens fan who who actually lived through those or can re- recall pretty well those first uh, those '90s years. Because I think it would be really interesting to have that perspective. Because yeah, this city loves loves football, and even though the Ravens ha- uh, hadn't made a legacy yet, they. Uh, the team was still the city was very receptive to them coming in. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That was a great story, Peter. Thanks for sharing it. So Peter, you were right. I definitely don't have this game as high, partially because I wasn't, you know, creating memories at this point, but also just because uh 
you know, when I was listening to the video, it kind of made sense to me that they all were writers and just excited to have the Ravens back, right? Uh, they, you know, all these guys cover the Ravens for every year of their existence. So it checks out that this would be a memorable thing for them, but maybe not so much for us. I also think the next game is, is totally has nothing to do with being on this list. I, 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 I honestly was like, oh, yeah, I guess that happened. Uh, it's a cool game, but I would definitely not put it in my top 10. And that was the Ravens being the Cowboys 33 to 24 in the end of the 2008 season to close out the Cowboys Texas Stadium uh, before they went to the Jerry World, as I'd like to call it, right? I mean, yes, there was those two awesome runs by Willis McGahee and LaRon McLean to close out the game, but I just, I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. I remember watching this game and liking it, but not not enough to recall it when trying to make a list. Yeah, I, I don't know why this game's on the list. <laughs> for all the reasons you said. I mean, the the Cowboys are, aren't a rival of the Ravens. Uh, the Cowboys weren't even that good that year. I have up there record was uh nine and seven i mean i guess we bounced them from the playoffs that year and the ravens did have to win out their last two games because you had that was that year where you had the three-way tie with the ravens uh patriots and and dolphins of all teams um since tom brady was hurt that year uh tied at 11 and 5 at the end of the season and the patriots lost on tiebreaker um so it has significance in that it got the ravens they're solidified the Ravens making the playoffs that year, but yeah, I, I don't think that's enough to put it on this high on the list. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the legacy here is honestly probably more on the storyline of, of really beating the Cowboys in the last game. So, I mean like at, at the, the last game at the Texas stadium, for some people, I think it's a big deal because the Cowboys have kind of always been one of the, the big teams in the league. But yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're a Ravens fan, I mean, I guess being, you know, playing the spoiler for that is kind of cool. But you know, for just for the reason you guys said, I mean, we're not really a rival of the Cowboys. You know, I mean, we've beaten them a handful of times, but when you only play them once every four years, there's really not that much to it. I don't mind being it like in the top twenty-five because I do think it was it was a, a pretty good game. But yeah, I will say from you know as far as like a. a a legacy game. I don't know if it really sits too high on on the top twenty five. I think it's a fine honorable mention, and I think as we get a little bit further onto this list, we'll kind of just mention the games we thought should have been higher and our honorable mentions. Yeah. Um. But for me, actually, Peter, you brought it up earlier. The next game on the list, number ten, where Jamal Lewis has total field day for two hundred ninety five yards rushing, actually was a game that I considered a little bit higher. And it's, I think it's just because I have such a fond memory of misremembering the fullback that season. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, I, I just I love that run that he was on. I just remember watching the 2003 season with bated breath, hoping that Jamal would continue his uh, incredible streak and, and break the record. So that game being the, the biggest one of it and the single game record made it uh, a memorable game and high up for me. But not as high as, like I said, hey, diddle diddle. I think that's probably top five material. And um, I also think there's some games here. It's like the Tory Smith saga, right? You have number 12 where he scores the touchdown after dropping it at the previous drive. And uh, Joe Flack goes back to him. I think that was a huge game that uh, I just remember in that 2011 season uh, enjoying. 
And number 19 was also the game where he found out his brother had passed away and he came back uh, or he came out on Sunday Night Football and scored two touchdowns and just had an incredible game. And then uh, Justin Tucker squeezed that uh, last second go-ahead field goal that cemented him as our kicker of the future. So I feel like those games, like for me, those are top 10 games that just didn't find their way on this list. Yeah, I think Bill Belichick is is still uh, seeking retribution against those replacement refs for that with that field goal with Tucker. <laughs> even oh, though Tucker, on. even no Tucker made it. Tucker made it. I one hundred percent believe Tucker made it, but I one hundred percent believe Bill Belichick thinks <laughs> that he Fair. didn't. Remember, he he shoved the replacement refs after the game. Now he wanted to get their attention. He tried <laughs> wanted to talk to him about it. Oh man. No, but I agree. Yeah, I agree with you, Alec. Um, you know, as as far as uh, you know, some of these Tory Smith, uh, some of the games that feature Tory Smith here, I I really do think the the number nineteen, the uh, the game against the Patriots, I feel like that was a little low. I mean, for me, I mean, you did have that storyline of, of of Tory, you know, losing his brother, and you know, that was a very significant moment for him to you know come out and play as well as he did for his brother. I think that was really really strong. You know, this was uh, you know again right after the twenty eleven season where the Ravens had such a heartbreaking loss against the Patriots for them to come back and win this early in the season I think it was really huge I also think that the Ravens overall played a pretty good game I mean it was close 31-30 literally that last second field goal that <laughs> by Tucker as a rookie to be able to make that for me I would probably put that above the uh, the Steelers game in 2011 well I do agree with you that that game should be in the top 10 um, it actually came in at number four on my list which Maybe that's a little high, but I think you also have to look at this game. This was actually the first time that the Ravens beat Belichick in the regular season. You had that that game in 2004 that did not go well for the Ravens, and then there was the infamous Monday night game in 2007 where the Ravens had handed the Patriots their first loss of the season, but then Rex Ryan had called a timeout before that fourth down play had started, so gave the Patriots a second shot, and they would go out to eke out a win there. But yeah, that was an excellent game, and obviously had huge significance to Torrey. It's terrible what happened with his brother, but yeah, like you said, it was, it was the Ravens got double revenge that year on the Patriots, because they beat them on that Monday night football game, and then in the AFC Championship. Um, but yeah, that was a huge win. Just to wrap up the kind of games I thought should have been higher, this will probably come as no surprise for the listeners of the show, but I feel like the Lamar era has been forgotten or not respected enough. Felt like the turning point was a great game. It's uh, number 20 on their list. I would have had it higher. Not maybe in my top 10, but I definitely would have had it higher. The game that I also think should have been higher was the epic comeback against the Seahawks because I remember like people had left the stadium I think, Peter, you were there. You left the stadium because your dad like made you, obviously. Uh, like It wasn't necessarily your choice yeah, we at were, your age. Right. Yeah. We were, um, as I said when we were doing the preview of the game, so we, we left because um, my sister and I were of the age, gosh, I think I was, yeah, that was sixth grade. I was, in, I was 11, she was 10. And, you know, it was that time of year where it first starts becoming uh, cold after it's been warm, so... We didn't have our jackets, and, and my parents were afraid we were going to catch a cold was the excuse they gave. I think my dad would also didn't think that the Ravens were going to win the game. I think he was just using that as an excuse. and Because you got to remember with that game, like another reason why that game's on that list 
is because the Ravens going into that game had no quarterback. The Kyle Bowler experiment was on pause <laughs> because Bowler got hurt. Everyone who was clamoring for Chris Redmond to start in the season, which my dad and myself were on that camp, uh, got immediately silenced in the same game Bowler got hurt because Redmond came in there and looked like he didn't know how to play the position of quarterback. So the Ravens were down to this Anthony Wright guy who is a practice squad QB. And this guy comes out in this game after the Ravens have a stinker of a first half and just delivers the game of his career alongside journeyman wide receivers Marcus Robinson and Frank Sanders. And it's just the most improbable game in Ravens history. <laughs> they went at 44 to 41. I think at the time, 44 points was a franchise record scored. And you, you did it with a third string quarterback and two aging journeyman wide receivers. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely had that one higher up in my ranks. I thought Ray Lewis's last dance, uh, the last home game, I mean biased because i was there but uh that i thought was a a pretty cool game i think like of all the games that were just like historically significant i would rate that one high uh for no other reason and then to kind of wrap up the lamar era i think them making the playoffs for the first time in five years uh and beating cleveland after it looking like it might be another round of what happened the year before against cincinnati that was a really great game. So I think with that, I can comfortably say I've mentioned all the games. Oh, one last honorable mention, the snow game. Dude, that was awesome, and no one was there. And I just remember uh, the, the last second win there, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I always remember that game because I could have went there, and I did not. It was really sad. It was, I saw uh, all the empty seats. I wanted to be there. <laughs> I know, dude. I, I had I had my friend. He, he he texted me in the morning. He was like, hey, I've got an extra ticket. Do you want to go? The problem is that uh, Chris at that time had gone through uh, 24 hours of straight coding from a school hackathon, and I was totally asleep. <laughs> Didn't wake <laughs> up until about 1230 that afternoon, 30 minutes before the game start. And I was like, oh, no. And then by the time I saw what type of a game it was, I was like, dang it, man, I really wanted to go to that. <laughs> and the other thing about that game is is it's such an anomaly because, I mean, though though we get snow in Maryland, like seeing a game in a downpour of snow at M&T Bank Stadium is such a rarity. To my knowledge, that was the first time you had that, and who knows when the next one's going to be. And there's just something about uh, football in the snow that's like, I guess just because it doesn't happen much. It's just such a, a novelty that, you know, that's, I mean, that was the cause of why that game's on the list. I mean, <laughs> those last three minutes didn't necessarily come from great play of the players. It came more from the, the, field the crappy fielding positions, <laughs> making it impossible to defend anything. But yeah, I think just seeing that game in the snow was, uh, was pretty cool. I will say for me, um, you guys pretty much hit all the games that I would say should be higher on the list. Um, with the exception of, I would say, that game week two in 2000 where the Ravens beat the Jaguars. Absolutely no way that that game against the Cowboys should be higher than that game. I don't actually know if that would be a top 10 game. I think it just misses out, and it did just miss out on my list. I had it at number 14, basically the same. Because, well, that day it was such a big deal that the Ravens won that game. Jacksonville themselves, though they were coming off a 14-2 and two season, finished, I think, something like 7-9 and nine that year. So they really weren't as strong as they had been in years past. But still an excellent win for the Ravens because they'd never beaten the Jaguars in their history. 
and then we're talking about the divisional game against Tennessee. Way buried down in, at number 25 on this list, a game that absolutely should be in the top 10, was the regular season game where the Ravens went into Adelphia Coliseum, as it was at the time, and played a, a really back-and-forth game with Tennessee, which had Trent Dilfer kind of a la Torrey Smith. He threw away the game and had the Titans go up ahead of the Ravens with a pick six, but then he comes back and marches down the field with a couple passes to Shannon Sharp and then hits Patrick Johnson, of all players, for the game-winning touchdown pass. And again, Tennessee Titans with the Ravens, that was a huge rivalry, so I think that game deserves to be in the top 10. One game that I, I, I keep noodling on here a little bit uh, that you know, I, I don't think it's a top 10 game. It's it's probably like more of an honorable mention, but it's uh, I figured I'd bring it up because I think it was important. The 2011 uh, Thanksgiving night game. Oh, yeah. Against the, the 49ers. So that would have been the first Harbaugh Bowl. And I want to bring that mainly up for just our, you know, Terrell Suggs and, and what a performance he had and then, you know, the rest of the defense. I mean, he went on to win Defensive Player of the Year that year. I believe he had two or three sacks that game. And uh, I, I was at that one, and I thought, you know, just from like a fan experience one of, of, of being a, uh, I think the first Thanksgiving night game that the Ravens have ever had at home, and just being such a, uh, a great atmosphere, um, and then adding, you know, part of that on to John Harbaugh playing, you know, new brother Jim, coaching the 49ers. I thought there was a, a good amount of drama, a good amount of a historical significance there. And, and ultimately, you know, I thought it was a really good game you know, thinking back on it, I think it was um, sixteen to six. I think the game was was a lot closer than that final score. I remember there was a touchdown pass to Dennis Pitta in the fourth quarter that was kind of the deciding play of the game. So I want to say it was it, it was probably like around nine to six for a while in that game. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about you know, I would put that in my vote. You know, as as being like more of a hard fought, close game. I know that you were uh, clamoring to have more Lamar era uh, games in here, Alec. But honestly, the win against the Dolphins, like I mean, it was a great, I mean, it was a great win, but it was a complete blowout. And you know, um, at least as, as far as like a, a memorable game itself, like eh, I, I don't know if I would remember that game too much, aside from the fact that you know it just proved that hey, Lamar's a quarterback; he can actually throw the football, guys. <laughs> I think it was memorable for me. Because uh, it was partially a victory lap because I was saying Lamar was going to have a gear and I also thought Hollywood was going to be good. And I had him a few fancy leagues. But most importantly, I was at a friend's house who just recently had a newborn uh, and I couldn't contain my excitement. And they were like, gave me a dirty look because the kid was sleeping. <laughs> and I was like, oh, whoopsie daisy, I forgot that I'm not at home watching this. Because <laughs> I was just like, yeah. <laughs> Every touchdown pass. Um, every <laughs> and play. that's when Uncle Alec was not invited back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I guess before Peter's big reveal of his uh, his list, I'll put one game that I thought was left out and should have been considered, but that Flacco rookie game where he had the rushing touchdown and just kind of like flubbed his way to the win, I thought that was a pretty big game in Ravens history, you know, like transitioning to him as a quarterback. And... Uh, I thought that one deserved to be at least mentioned. Yeah, I thought about that one. That one did not make the top 25 in my list, although it was part of my rankings. Again, I think that one also kind of comes down to some of these games are exciting games, but 
when you look at the opponent, it can kind of be, well, is that really a top game there? Because Cincinnati did not have a good year that year. But that being said, again, going into that year, Ravens fans coming off, the Ravens had the worst season in franchise history in 2007. You had the coaching change, no Billick, and now you had John Harbaugh. You had this rookie quarterback out of Delaware and, you know, first round pick on a quarterback out of Delaware. And everyone's just got uh, Kyle Bowler 2.0 labeled on Flacco before he even takes an NFL snap. And he comes in there and, and has what ends up being the winning play of the game, albeit not how anyone expected his first NFL touchdown to be. Yeah, it was definitely a significant game and it wasn't the most exciting game, but it was close. So I guess you could say it was exciting from that standpoint, but yeah, definitely a game for consideration for this list, I think. Let's hear your list, man. All right, my list. I will say, like I said, I recounted it was nine games in my top 25 that were not in this list, although only two of those games were in the top 10. So some additional games for consideration that maybe the panelists debated, but just they weren't able to make it because only 25 can. At number 25, I had the 2008 wildcard game against Miami, which uh, Flacco's first playoff win, and Ed Reed had uh, two interceptions in that game, including a touchdown. I think the Ravens had four interceptions in total off Chad Pennington, which at the time, you think back now, the Ravens have never lost to the Dolphins under John Harbaugh, but the Dolphins were actually a pretty decent team that year, so it wasn't a foregone conclusion that the Ravens were going to win that game in that big, so... Again, that li- that game was number 25 on the list. Number 23, I had another game, a close game against the Chargers. Week 2 of 2009 was a back-and-forth game uh, where Ray Lewis made the winning play in that game by uh, reading the, what the offensive line was going to do and just stopping Darren Sproles in the backfield right as he got the ball. That was a, a great game there. Another game, honorable mention, from the Lamar era, the... Game you guys sat through in the pouring rain against San Francisco. It was exciting defensive game with some big plays by Lamar at times. And maybe that game's a li- lifted a little higher on the list because the 49ers made the Super Bowl that year, but that one might be debatable. Doing a throwback here, I will admit I didn't watch this game, but doing some research on the Ravens' 1999 season, this was not an exciting game because it was a blowout, but I think that... The 1999 season, I think, is really f- forgotten by a lot of Ravens fans, but it was really the, the year where the Ravens came into their, their own. Um, they didn't really come out of nowhere in 2000. They finished 9-7 and seven and were a game or two away from the playoffs. And actually, that year, the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars were the best teams in the AFC. Tennessee finishes 13-3, Jacksonville 14-2. That's the AFC championship game that year, and the Titans are were infamously uh, a yard away from sending that Super Bowl into overtime. But the Ravens' defense that year was was almost as legit as it was the next season. And get this how they played these two teams that year. Week 5 at Tennessee, Ravens lose 14-11. to Week 10 at Jacksonville, Ravens lose 6-3. to Week 12 against Jacksonville, Ravens lose 30-23. to and then for consideration is honorable mention, week 13, the Ravens hand the Tennessee Titans their final regular season loss of that season, 41-14, to which is the biggest win in Ravens history to that point. 
And I think from a significant standpoint, though obviously that game's not exciting because it's a blowout, I think it's worth uh, considering for the top 25 list. And then three additional games, as honorable mentions, 2009 against Pittsburgh, where, which was Joe Flacco's first win against Pittsburgh after going 0-3 his rookie year. Uh, Ravens won that game in overtime. 2010 against Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, Joe Flacco throws the winning touchdown pass to TJ Hushmanzada. And then 2006 against San Diego. San Diego would finish number one seed that year at 14-2, and two, but Steve McNair would throw the game-winning touchdown pass to Todd Heap in that game in just a boss play by Heap, where Heap was the, if you watch the top 20 moments of the first 20 seasons of the NFL, or for the Ravens, when the Ravens did that list back five years ago, uh, Heap was describing the play, and McNair put him in motion out wide as a wide receiver on that play. He was supposed to be at the decoy. The play was supposed to go to Mark Clayton or Derek Mason. Uh, but, but McNair went to Heap, and despite the fact that Heap was in triple coverage, and Heap catches it, immediately just takes the impact of Sean Merriman's hit and knocks him to the ground, and then Heap dives into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, one of the best plays in Todd Heap's career, and just a, a really quality win for a 13-3 and Ravens season. So, that was a bit long-winded. What do you guys think of those honorable mentions? Yeah, definitely a lot of memorable plays and uh, a lot of memorable games there. Yeah, the the twenty ten game against the Steelers definitely sticks out to me. Um, I remember that of of uh, previous two years of of the the Steelers kind of already having our number and they just come off a uh, a Super Bowl uh, victory in two thousand and eight. So they were clearly the uh, the team to beat, and uh, they definitely acted like it. And the Ravens were definitely the underdog in the rivalry at that point, and. Uh, yeah, just uh, to be able to finally beat them once at a game, in a very close game too, was huge uh, at that point. Although the Ravens did end up uh, losing to them in the playoffs that year as well. That was a uh, that was not an exciting game. Um, the first half was. It was really great. Uh, the second half was not so much. Yeah, I think this just similar to some of our other list episodes this offseason. We just remember how fantastic this team is and how story they are in just 25 years and how we hope... This season, Rona willing, they can continue uh, giving us some excellent memories and hopefully a Super Bowl. That would be great. All right, so to wrap up this topic, uh, I'll quickly go through my top 10. So with those metrics that I explained at the beginning of the episode, the top 10 list came to number 10, 2014 wildcard win over Pittsburgh, number 9, 2008 divisional win over Tennessee, Number eight, that divisional round win over Tennessee in 2000. New to the list at number seven, the Sunday night game this past season against New England. New to the list at number six, the Saturday night game in 2018 over the Los Angeles Chargers. Number five on the list, the Ravens beating the Titans in 2000 on that game-winning pass from Dilford to Patrick Johnson. Number four, the Monday night game against New England in 2012. Number three, the Sunday night game against Pittsburgh in 2011, where Torrey Smith had the game-winning pass. Number two, Super Bowl 47. Number one, as we already have been in unanimous agreement of, the divisional round game in 2012 against Denver. 
Wow, a lot of newer games on that list in the top 10. Yeah, I was surprised too. That was cool. Yeah, this was definitely a... I really definitely enjoyed this exercise of going down memory lane with these games. And, you know, there's so many great games. There's not a wrong way to do it. But I think the only wrong way to do it is to not put that Ravens-Denver game at number one. I think we're all in agreement on that. (laughs) Absolutely, Peter. Well, you put a lot of work into this episode. I think you've definitely earned your upcoming paternity leave. We're really excited for you, man. Little Truss is on the way. And... uh, we're uh, excited to have you back, but take your time. Enjoy this uh, memorable uh, moment for your family. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's getting uh, it's getting real and it's getting exciting. I, I'm really looking forward to sharing what is hopefully, and all signs are pointing to, will be a successful birth into this world for this uh, this new to be Ravens fan. Yeah. With that, thanks so much, guys, for listening. This is a long one, but, you know, in an off-season full of uncertainty, we figured why not just go all in and give you a big episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Give us a shout-out on Twitter, Ravens underscore recap. We've been having some pretty good conversations there, talking about some of the news that's been coming out. I've been getting pretty excited about Devin DuVernay. Curious to hear what you guys think, too. Feel free to email us, feedback at ravensrecap.com we're starting to try to put together the people that will be on the show for our know your opponent episodes if you have a fan that might be a good fit for the show please reach out let us know about them and we'd love to have them on the show to discuss their team and figure out how the Ravens will grow the stack up we'll be back soon with another episode keep on wearing your masks and we'll have a season